how you got it, Lord. I pray, God, that the Spirit of God would teach us your holy word in a, in a powerful way, Lord, that you would change our hearts. It's as real and powerful today as it was in Exodus 15. Lord, it is able and, and very capable of, uh, of cutting us to the heart and, and, and showing us what we need to be and do and giving us the power, love, and sound mind to do it so we can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Lord, so we can walk the way you would have us to walk in this wilderness land in victory instead of defeat. Lord, I pray, God, a blessing on the reading and the hearing of the word. And, Lord, I pray also in the application that we can leave here today better and different and more encouraged than when we came in. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, well, you've heard of the, of the uh, mountaintop experiences, right? Uh, it's dangerous when you get to the mountaintop experience because you never know when you're going to walk off a cliff, right? And so that's pretty much what happened to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 15. They have this wonderful song of Moses in the first 21 verses, and then all of a sudden uh, they go from this celebration to condemnate or to uh, con- uh, what was the word I came up with? Consternation, right? They went from celebration to consternation. They were just they were just uh, totally um, not happy with the results of their three-day journey into the wilderness. And uh, that's what we just read about in those, fir- in those verses from verse 22 through 27. And uh, that is the problem with those mountaintop experiences. They tend to fall off pretty quickly. Uh, and so uh, the children of Israel, as we've seen, uh, went from celebration to uh, consternation. So it was last week that we heard a wonderful message from Joseph Hayden. right? And what did we do after that message? We celebrated the Lord's Supper, right? We celebrated Passover. But it is possible that after that mountaintop experience, I mean, three days later, you could have came in here seven days later and you might be back in the valley. It could be that even though we met with the Lord last week and celebrated the Lord's Supper and remembered all that he did for us and our salvation, that quickly, you know, all of a sudden you walk off the cliff and you're back in the depths of despair, right? And Jesus just ain't working for me today. If this is what following Jesus is like, I mean, come on, you know, that kind of thing. None of us would ever say that. But, but of course, that's what's going on with the children of Israel. And so uh, maybe it was three hours, right? Maybe it was three minutes. I don't know. But, uh, but you can walk off that cliff pretty quick uh, if you allow yourself to. So um, now if you don't know what uh, consternation means, it, uh, it's not to be confused with constipation. However... <laughs> Both could give you the same result. And, uh, and so consternation simply means an amazement or dismay that hinders or, or throws you into confusion, right? When something doesn't go the way you want or the way you thought it was supposed to go or the way you envisioned it, it just doesn't go the way you, you think it ought to be. And all of a sudden, it's, it's not just a little bit like disappointment. It's a lot. It's like, what? what? The waters are bitter. What, what in the world, Moses? What have you led us into? And so, really quickly, they, they, they devolved, right? You know, everybody in the, in the scientific world talks about evolution, but uh, the truth is it's all about uh, de-evolution, right? It's the opposite of that, whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's not, people don't evolve. They, they actually degenerate uh, because of the sin of Adam. It takes an outside force like the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the creator of the universe, to take us uh, from a place of degeneration to a place of regeneration, right? And that happens through the Holy Spirit of God. And so the children of Israel allowed themselves to go from that celebration to consternation with, within three short days' journey into the wilderness. Uh, and to their credit, it only, it only took some of them 
you know, three days. It takes some of us three minutes, as I've already said. So, you know, I'm not going to beat up on too much. But before I get into Israel's consternation over the bitter waters of of Mara, I want to circle back once more and look at uh, the source of celebration, because that's also where we're going to end this morning. So I think it's important to kind of review what we've seen. And I'm not going to go back through all the Song of Moses, but I just want you to note uh, down in verse 21, Miriam. Uh, and, and Miriam is the, the sister of Moses. She shows up really early in the story of Exodus because she's the big sister. She was involved in um, in the, the watching Moses being pulled up out of the waters, drawn out of the waters by um, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And, and so she has been a part of the story since the beginning of Exodus. Verse 20 tells us that Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand. Interesting, it doesn't say the sister of Moses. Um, and all the women went out after her with uh, timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he uh, hath triumphed gloriously. Uh, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Now, I don't have a lot that I want to add to anything that we've already said from last week, but I just want to remember um, the source of our celebration. We must remember the source of our celebration. We have to, because if we forget, we'll be right back in the, in the depths of despair, just like Israel is here in this in this story. And so uh, just just to make it simple for us, God gave Jesus his name, and his name actually means salvation, right? So whenever you feel like, man, I, I just, I'm in the pit of despair. Well, guess what? Jesus' name is salvation. Now, I'm not going to go word faith on you and say, say the name of Jesus. But you know what? It is important to remember the name of Jesus is powerful, especially when you ascribe it to who he is, and that is the God of heaven, right? He is the Lord God of heaven. So the, your Savior, my Savior, if you're born again this morning, when we say his name, we are actually, we're, we're, we are professing that he is Savior. Jesus means Savior. He is the, obviously, and then we say Christ, he's the Messiah, which Messiah is also implies Savior, right? He is the Savior. He is the King. He is, he is all that we need. So it's important to remember the source of celebration. As we see, as we saw a couple of weeks ago in our text in the Song of Moses, it was a celebration of God's salvation of Israel. And, uh, and it also has future implications. So your, your, your celebration on salvation didn't end, for me, it didn't end March 25th, 1987. I'm still celebrating every Sunday. And as James is praying about the catching away, I'm looking forward to the catching away. I'm looking forward to coming back to the second coming. I'm looking forward to eternity future. There is a lot to your salvation that is yet to be realized. And that's why we need to continue to celebrate our salvation. Now, point B on your outline and by the way, I think everybody got one. If you didn't, just uh, you know, go out to the foyer. The ushers will get you one. But Miriam focused uh, celebration in the right direction. And that's really the primary thing I didn't get into last time. If you look at the text again, it says there in verse 22, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 21. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord. And so she focuses the, the, uh, the praise to the Lord. So it wasn't a performance. It wasn't, let's all gather together and sing and have a performance. It was, hey, let's all celebrate. Let's all praise the Lord, right? She's, she's directing the celebration in the right direction. And so we don't have to worry that Miriam was, uh, you know, working with the timbrel or dancing. Um, you know, a lot of my, you know, uh, there's some Baptists that might stub their toe. Some contemporaries might stub their toe on Exodus chapter 15, 20 and miss the fact that Miriam 
um, you know, wasn't dancing for them. She wasn't, she wasn't banging on that timbrel for them. She wasn't jamming for them. She was jamming for the Lord, and that's okay. You know, uh, Michael, the, the, the wife of, of David, had a similar problem um, because her life wasn't very good. She wasn't celebrating. And David has the tabernacle, and David's life wasn't always very good either. If you really read closely, the guy had some problems. He was great, I mean, in faith, but he had some problems. He was a man for sure. And uh, he comes rolling up into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. You guys know the story, right? And what's he doing? I mean, he's got this robe on, and he is dancing, and he's carrying on. And, I mean, it's, it's quite a show. And uh, you know what? His wife, Michael, did not like it. She didn't like that celebration that was directed to the Lord. She had a problem with David when he celebrated the Ark of the Covenant being brought into Jerusalem with song and dance. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 27 says, And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, and all the Levites that bear the Ark, and the singers, and, the, and uh, uh, Chenaniah, the master of the song with the singers. I mean, this is quite an, a situation going on here. It's a praise team moving forward on the road. It's a mobile praise unit. It's like they do up in Mount Mammoth. They get on a flatbed trailer and go around town praising the Lord, you know. I mean, it's just a mobile, mobile praise unit. So David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Verse 28, Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a cornet and with the trumpets and with the cymbals. Man, they even had percussion. Making noise with psalteries and harps. Man, they got the strings going, the percussion going. They got the horns blaring. I mean, it is a... It is singers singing. I mean, it is a spectacle. And it came to pass as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David. The Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out the window, saw King David dancing and playing. She despised him in her heart. She's like, that fool, look at him dance to the Lord. Look at him sing. She hated him. She had a heart problem. Have you ever noticed that, that people who are bitter... And have no joy often despise those who do. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I was lost once. Now I'm found. Hallelujah. But I know if you were ever lost and of adult age, you know, you know how you felt about those crazy Christians, right? Didn't it just drive you crazy? And like the joy of the Lord, they're always happy. They're always, well, if they're good walking in the spirit type of Christian, not all Christians are like that. But, you know, those ones that walk in victory, <laughs> and you're just like, ah, nothing ever hurts them. What in the world? Can't they get down in the dumps like me? Misery loves company. Michael was miserable. She wanted, she wanted David and the whole nation to be miserable because her father failed and David hadn't. And so Miriam is uh, careful, right, when she's leading the praise here, um, you know, taking on this song. Moses obviously was the leader and in this, but Miriam comes in and joins in with the, the with the instrument and starts singing and, and leading and what did she say? Sing unto the Lord. Miriam had the proper focus, and so should we. So it, that's important. We should make sure that our focus is on things above, especially today in the in the Laodicean church age. We're commanded in Colossia in Colossians, the church of Laodicea especially needs to set our affection on things above. This is important for our victory. It's important for our victory because the, the, the reality outside of, of what we know is true in the Word of God in this world is increasingly going to look more and more like a desert, a place where it's going to find it's hard to find resources to satisfy you. And your expectations can be, you know, I mean, you could the Chiefs could lose today, and your expectations could be unmet. 
you know, because you expected them to win. Now, if that if your life is built on that, man, you're going to have a messed up life. You really are, man. That's not going to satisfy you. You got to have more than that. Which leads me to my second point: celebration or consternation. Well, that's a choice we make. Jesus is the source of our celebration, but also point two: Jesus is aware of our uh, consternation. He understands what we're going through. We know Hebrews four. We know that we have a, a high priest, which he's he's not like a, a high priest that's human. He is a supernatural high priest, and he's he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, uh, and so he knows not just what's going on; he knows how we feel about it. Point A: God led Israel into a difficult situation. When you look at the text a little closer, it says, "So Moses brought Israel to the Red Sea." All right, we get that, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and, and found no water. All right, so this is, if Moses is the leader, um, let's not show hands, but if we all raised our hands, we'd all understand Moses is the leader. It says Moses brought them, so Moses took them where God was wanting them to go, to a place where there was no water. Now I'll get to the end at the beginning here because God was showing them a lesson, but they, they didn't know that. They were just learning some basic principles of discipleship one. When you first get saved, this is the thing you got to learn. You got to follow God's authority. You got to follow God's authority. You know, John Cougar Mellencamp could tell you that. I mean, he fought authority, and authority always won, right? That's the first principle of discipleship. You got to follow authority. Yes, I'm that old. So, something like John Cougar, who? So. Anyway, Moses brought it. Yeah, God led them into this difficult situation. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea to Shur, and Shur means wall. And it's always associated with Egypt and appears to be a join to Egypt. Now, I've gotten into all kinds of maps, and I have found that nobody actually knows anything for sure about where any of these places are. So I decided not to go to the maps. But I can tell you, based on what the Bible says, it was a join to Egypt there near uh, near. Uh, during that Sinai Peninsula area, and, and that's as far as I'm going to go with it. Uh, I think it's probably on the east side of the Sinai. But at any rate, uh, Shur is first mentioned in Genesis 16:17 as Hagar encamped near a road that led to Shur. And, uh, and so they go out three days' journey, and they find no water. So Israel is called God's son in Exodus 4:23. I've covered that over and over again. And it's important because Jesus is also... Obviously, the Son of God. We are born again, and we are sons of God. And the only other sons of God that you'll find in the Bible are angels. So he was three hours on the cross. You know what Jesus said when he hung on the cross after three hours? I thirst. He was thirsty. You know what he didn't do that we do and, and the children of Israel did? He murmured. Or he didn't murmur. We murmur. Right? He, didn't, he, he, he was like a lamb to the slaughter, led to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. When he did open his mouth, he said things like, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? And so, uh, and I thirst. <laughs> he didn't mention that. I thirst. And, of course, they gave him uh, uh, vinegar, right, and hyssop. But that was, a, that was a terrible thing to do to someone in that situation. And so it's, it's easy to lose heart at times. But they go three days journey uh, and find no water. Um, and so, you know, as Jesus' body lay three days in the tomb while he, he preached to the captives in, in prison, um, three days, Jesus, and the third day, Jesus rose again. And you know what he did? After three days, and you guys know this, Jesus became, he is and was and always will be the fountain of living water, right? 
he rose again and and man i mean he is he is alive it's amazing i mean who he is and so point b god didn't meet their expectation and that's why there was consternation god brings them to the the bitter water of mara after traveling three days they expected to find you know good water supply i mean they're following god they just seen all these miracles it was a mountaintop experience we should you know from here on out we're going to the promised land this is going to be great and right off the bat something happens they don't like and their expectations are not met therein lies the problem the children of israel had unmet expectations and it's easy to lose heart when you allow your circumstances to control your emotions isn't that true if you allow your circumstances to control your emotions you're going to be you're going to be struggling all the time there are so many people today that are in the dumps because that's where they live and you're perpetually, these devices that we have are all keyed up to, to manipulate your emotions. So it's no wonder people are just depressed and, and looking for ways to uh, escape. And, and Because reality for most people is very difficult to deal with because they don't have faith in the living God. Conversely, what's so frustrating for people who do try to manipulate you emotionally and mentally is when you're kind of like, no, nah, I don't need that. I'm good. I got Jesus. You know, you ever try to, people try to scare you to death and you're like, well, that's okay. If I die, I'll be fine. And they're like, oh, that, darn it. You're supposed to move when I scare you to death like that. Right. And so that's okay. I'm going to heaven. I mean, you know, I'm not worried about that. And so there's just a peace that, that passes understanding when you understand that Jesus has your back. I mean, he's got you. He's going to take care of you and, and your expectations, even when unmet, that's okay. God will take care of things. It's easy to lose heart. When, when we allow our circumstances to control our emotions. And this is the first mention of Mara in the Bible. It's the only mention, it's only mentioned, I should say, rather, in three verses uh, in the Bible. So you can see the full mention uh, in Exodus 15:23, Numbers 33, verses 8 and 9. So it's only in really three verses of the entire Bible. And it ends up that Moses' song was not enough. Miriam's counsel was not enough for the children of Israel. Yeah, that's a lesson. You can only sing so much. <laughs> Songs are not enough. I mean, Caleb's only going to get you so far. Your gospel quartet's only going to get you so far. Your hymnals, man, they're awesome. They're great, but they're only going to get you so far. you got to get to the Word, man. Your promises, my promises, have to be in the solid rock of what the Word of God says. And I'm not minimizing I just started talking about celebration. I think we should celebrate. I think we should sing. I think we can, we can bang the timbrel. We can even dance, God forbid, in a Baptist church. Now, settle down. <laughs> Let's not get too crazy. But, man, we can enjoy Jesus. But the emotional high you get is not going to last, is what I'm saying. It's good to have all that, but you know, at the end of the day, you've got to have more. You've got to have faith. You know what Moses has all the way through? You don't see Moses having a cow. You don't see him freaking out having a cow if you're listening online in, in another country. That's a phrase that doesn't mean anything in another country. But anyway, <laughs> he is not freaking out. He is not, he is not, uh, he is not dissuaded at all from uh, being uh, the, the promises that, that God provides. He knows that God will keep his word. And so, uh, so God didn't meet the ex, their expectations. He brought them to this bitter water of Mara. And after traveling three days, they expected to find it, this good water supply. And therein lies the problem. And so it's easy to lose heart when we allow our circumstances to control our emotions. And it ends up 
that that song was not enough. So point C, Jesus was with them in difficult situations. You know, this whole time, God hadn't forsaken them. He hadn't left them. Just look down at verse 24. It says, and the people murmured against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And in verse 25, and he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. Right? The Lord was right there. The Lord was in the pillar and the cloud. We already saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right? They were baptized unto Moses, but Jesus was there in the pillar and the cloud. It even said in chapter 14 that the Lord looked behind and saw the armies of Pharaoh following. I mean, he literally was with them as they went through the Red Sea. He was with them as they traveled to this location. And they aren't going to dare go after Jesus, right? So they're going to go after Moses. <laughs> so uh, he gets a little touch of, of, uh, of uh, some of the wrath they really have, the discomfort they have for God. But Jesus was with them in this difficult situation. And so that rock followed them all the way through the wilderness. You know, that's such a blessing, isn't it? He was literally with them in the tabernacle, going everywhere they went. Later on, of course, they'll get the tabernacle. And that, that pillar and that cloud will rest over the tabernacle, and he will dwell in the Holy of Holies there. And, and he will be in the midst of the congregation through the entire journey until they enter the promised land. Well, even after they enter the promised land, he's going to be with them. And so, so God, uh, he didn't appreciate, uh, he didn't, uh, it wasn't that he didn't appreciate the circumstances. He was in the midst of the circumstances with the children of Israel. Just as he's in the midst of the circumstances you're dwelling in right now, because if you're born again, I'm talking to Christians, he's inside of you, right? He dwells literally in you. So whereas he dwelt in the center of the camp of the nation of Israel, he dwells literally in the center of your body. Your body is called both a tabernacle and a temple in the New Testament. And so he is dwelling with you. He's with us in our circumstances. It's also interesting to see that Jesus stood in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And so God not only is in us individually, but also he works in the churches, the fellowship of churches. And so in Revelation 113, the Bible says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the past with a golden girdle. When God says he will never leave us or forsake us, that is exactly right. He will not leave us or forsake us. He is not going to do that. He is in the midst of us, literally. If you're born again, he has residency in your body. And he's also working in the churches. When we gather here today, he's in us, but he's with us. He's with our fellowship at churches. We got today Grace Baptist up in Lee Summits having a Bible conference, right? He's with them just like he's with us, and we're having our Bible conference. He's working in the midst of his churches uh, as he's working in the midst of us as individuals. He's getting some work done. So murmuring is not the proper solution for a difficult situation. When you're serving the Lord, you're going to run into difficult situations. And it didn't even take them being out of the wilderness but three days to come up against a problem. And so if you're young in the Lord and you just got saved, you'll find that out. There will be problems that you'll face almost immediately. Like for me, it wasn't three days. It was almost like 30 minutes or less after I got saved. I had serious decisions to make immediately. And so, and so God knows that that you're going to come into some things. But when you have God with you, man, that's all you need. In 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, the Bible reminds us not to, to uh, default to murmuring just because our situation is difficult. In 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, speaking of the children of Israel in the wilderness, he says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Man, I tell you what, when you get in a church, have you ever been in a church family where people are murmuring? Oh, my gosh. It's It's brutal. And uh, 
and if you're the pastor, it's always brutal because you're the last to know usually. It's, uh, but at any rate, um, people get to murmuring, man. And the next thing you know, it starts to affect everybody. And what's it do? It discourages people from going forward. And sometimes people just end up leaving, right? And that's how it works. It happens in churches all the time. The devil's good at that kind of business. And so this is the first mention of murmur in the Bible as well. Interesting. And so the Bible talks a lot about that in the nation of Israel. Um, but it won't be the last mention of murmur. It took three days for them to murmur over bitter water, and God provided, obviously, as we're going to see here, and we've already read. And we'll, and, and we will see when we get to chapter 16 and verse 2 that they murmured because they didn't have any bread. But that was after two and a half months, and then God provided and gave them manna. And then at a Further down the road, the time isn't exactly disclosed, but much later along, they, they murmur again. And God provides as Moses smote the rock. He should have spoke to it. But nonetheless, God provided a river of, of water uh, for them once more as they murmured against the Lord. And so we, we see that um, the cost of murmuring was deadly in the case of the first generation of the children of Israel. I mean, literally, they lost their lives in Numbers chapter 13, as they murmured against the leadership of Joshua and Caleb, and and uh, and and some of the leaders got caught up in it. Next thing you know, the whole mission of the of the congregation stopped for 40 years. God said go, they said no, came up with excuses, started murmuring, and the next thing you know, God says that's fine, you're all going to die in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they wanted to go forward in faith, and so. I tell you guys, there's some deadly consequences to murmuring. We'll keep learning about that. But why do I bring that up now? Well, because it's in the text. But it's also practical. It's one of the first things that comes up about the children of Israel as they leave the Red Sea. This is a discipleship church. And so we want to make disciples. And to make a disciple, you've got to be a disciple. You can't teach someone to follow unless you're following, right? You can't be, oh, follow me because I'm going to go, you know, off the rails. You know, that's not a good, that's not a good discipler. If you're going to be a good disciple, you need to be following Jesus. And the first thing out of the gate they're dealing with is unmet expectations and murmuring. And so us big boys and girls in the body of Christ, we should have that under control. But we see from the text, as I just laid out, that's something they struggle with all the way through their journey. But it's also, for you that are young in the Lord, it's also something you don't have to get caught up in. When I first got saved, I was in a big church, and there was a lot of opportunity for murmuring and complaining, let me tell you. And, you know, you can't help but, but I, this is the benefit of growing up through the ranks, by the way. I wasn't some church kid. I didn't, my daddy wasn't a preacher. I didn't even understand the Bible, didn't understand the culture. I'm just coming into this thing like, I love Jesus. What's the next step? And, man, I would hear people say things and complain and bitter water. It's like, shoo, can you take a shower, man? You know what I learned is I didn't have to get caught up in all that. If you let that happen, it'll rob your joy. And as you grow and you go, you start to learn tricks like, hey, have you talked to them about that? Or, hey, you know what? They, you know how God used them in my life? Et cetera, et cetera. But big brothers and sisters ought to know better. But if you're a young brother or sister and you're just coming into faith, man, I tell you what, just be full of faith. God's patient. He's gracious. He'll lead you to things that will frustrate you, that will cause you to murmur. He'll do it. He will press you and he will test you. So you can learn that he is sufficient. But you know what you need to look for? You need to look for those brothers like Moses. 
that never are affected by that stuff. And they just keep trucking. Not everybody in the congregation was caught up in all that. But the ones that were, man, it caused some dissension, obviously. It's sad when the kingdom of God and Christians' faith is, is derailed because of unmet expectations that cause murmuring that hinders and quenches the spirit of God. As a pastor, it's also discouraging when you're, when you're trying to lead a congregation forward and bitter water in the, in the hearts of God's people quench the spirit because people lack faith and they're just operating by sight, right? We need more faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the, uh, the, the problem was not that the children of Israel asked, but it was the way they asked, by the way. In verse 24, notice what they say. It says, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? There is nothing wrong with asking that question, What shall we drink? That was not the problem. It wasn't what they asked. I mean, it was just, it's, it's just the fact, it's the way they asked it. God didn't say they prayed. They prayed Moses, asking, right? He didn't say that. He just, he, he says, they didn't, it wasn't a problem of asking for water to drink or asking, what are we going to do now, Moses? God makes sure we understand that they were coming with an attitude against Moses. So mark it down. When, you're, when our expectations are not met, we often like to accuse authority because our dissatisfaction uh, is, being, is not <clears throat> going to be uh, taken on ourselves. Instead, we're going we're to go after the authority for the need. And there's some, there's some reason for that because those in authority should be helping, right? So it's a natural thing. I'm not beating up on these. are baby. This is a baby nation. They're figuring this thing out. Unfortunately, they go after Moses and not after God. That's, that's much better than going directly after God. But the, the, the thing is this, is that God picks up on it. And, and it wasn't that he, was, uh, he wasn't happy with the way they were asking. And so point E, Moses cries unto the Lord instead of complaining. Right? He, Moses doesn't you know, wring his hands or anything like that. He's like, okay, Lord, help. What are we going to do here, God? Here we go. He'd already been through this with the children of Israel. It was a pretty hard start getting them going out of the wilderness. So uh, this, is, this is light work for God. So he cries to God and, 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 uh, instead of complaining. And Moses, uh, he does have a temper. We find that out, right? Moses is a man of, of passion. And uh, he can get fired up. I mean, he's, killed, he's, he's murdered somebody. I mean, the guy gets fired up uh, at the end there, that, that last example of murmuring. He was so fed up with the children of Israel that he messed up God's picture with that rock. And instead of speaking to it, he smote it. And God's like, uh-uh, now you're disqualified, Moses. You're going to have to be on hold. And so you're not going into the promised land, right? So, so God doesn't play, uh, and God is, is really serious about uh, us following him. But Moses, <clears throat> he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears him, and he responds uh, and, and God provides. And God shows Moses a tree. And you know what's interesting? It doesn't say what kind of tree. It's just a tree. And this tree is cast into the waters, and it, it makes the, the, the bitter water sweet. And that leads me to my last point as we need to wrap it up here. Uh, as we think about celebrating uh, or have celebration or consternation, we understand that Jesus is the source of our celebration, that Jesus is aware of our consternation, but this last point is really where the money's at. This is really what we can walk out of here with and, and use today. Jesus is the source of our provision. And he is the source of our provision. In verse 25 it says, And, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. 
Uh, and so there <clears throat> he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And that's actually what this was all about, as I've already alluded to. He was proving the children of Israel. He was, he was wanting them to come to this problem. He led them to this, this difficulty, this situation, so that they could see his provision. They, he could see their response. They could learn from this, like, oh, wow, we should have just trusted the Lord. Yeah, that would have worked great. Let's trust the Lord with this thing next time, which is the, is the uh, idea. Now, let me give you four things here to look at. Number one, or point A, God provides this tree. It's a tree. And that, of course, is a picture of the cross. In the Bible, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of his spirit through faith. Right, So the cross was not only the source of our salvation, it's the source of our sustenance. Right, it, it, From the cross, the blood and the water came out in John 19, 34. Jesus promised the woman at the well in John 4 that he could provide living waters, Right, water that would come flowing, uh, that, that she would never see that well run dry. She's like, I want that water. He's like, you came to the right place. And so... We know that in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, that one day in eternity, water will flow from the throne. But it also says, and the Lamb. From the throne and the Lamb. Revelation 22, and verse 1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life. The water of life. Clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, which had which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were there for the healing of the nations. And there was no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. No more curse. You know what that means? No more cursing. No more curse and no more cursing, man. Jesus has provided. He has satisfied everything. And yet men's hearts are obviously not satisfied with what his provision is oftentimes. And so I believe that in addition to the throne, the lamb himself may issue living water just like mentioned, like he mentioned to the woman at the well. So in the millennium, Zechariah records that the water that flows from the millennial temple will heal, heal the waters and the ecology of the world. You know, so don't get so down on these environmentalist folks, these crazies that are, you know, wanting to captivate the planet and take it over and carbon tax you and, you know, tax the air you breathe, tax the water you drink, tax, tax, tax. The thing is, they're just kind of getting ahead of themselves. This, this world, uh, Christians are all about, by the way, conservation. Always have been. That's why most of the time Christians are considered conservative. What is that really talking about? Well, we are stewards of the mysteries of God, right? We steward mysteries. We take care of things. We are given a responsibility to carry forth the gospel to the world. We get stewardship. That is our primary deal. We are stewards of what God has given us. And we understand that when we're good stewards of it, it blesses everybody. And one of those things, of course, is the world, the environment, and all of those things. We also recognize that this is on a crash course for destruction, because of sin, because these very people who think they can control it are actually going to be defeated, literally, by Jesus Christ in days ahead. But after that, there will be a literal temple, not the one that's coming in the 
tribulation for the Antichrist to desecrate. But there will be a temple after Jesus returns at the second coming, at the end of Daniel's 70th week, and it will be established, and, and he will sit there, and there will be a, Jesus will rule on this planet. And there will be a little trickle of water that comes out of the throne, just a little trickle. And it will make its way out of the temple. Now, I don't have time to read all the verses. You can go back and, and look this up in, in Ezekiel, Zechariah. This this will this will come out, and then it gets it grows. This is living water, man. It grows as it goes, just like we should. And as it as it goes, it gets deeper, and then like he's measuring it, and then it's like, oh man, it's up to my ankles, and then it goes a little further, and then wow, it's up over my knees. And next thing you know, it's over my next thing you know, it's over my shoulders. Next thing you know, this water just keeps expanding and expanding, and, expanding, and it runs out. And both sides of the desert, into the ocean, into the desert, and the, de- the desert greens up, the, 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 the Mediterranean, uh, man, it, it ends up getting uh, revitalized. The fish, the oceans, the earth. Why? Because God is, man, he's full of living water. Now, that's a physical manifestation of the promises of God. That will come. This earth will be healed by the Lord Jesus Christ physically. But, beloved, don't miss the reality, the bigger reality for us is that same resource, that spirit. That's what's coming forth even now as we speak and we practice and we look and we read the words of God. This this Bible, man, it's alive. It's alive. It's living water. And it satisfies our soul. Oops. Anybody need a track in Espanol? I don't know how to even say that. So anyway, I'm done. Uh, <clears throat> so the water of life, man, it's flowing. And this, this, um, this, I've gotten off track here, so let me get back on. So no, there's no more curse, no more cursing. In Zechariah 14:8, and th- this day is coming when the, the living waters are going to go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and winter it shall be. So Ezekiel reports on this as well. So this nondescript tree that's cast into the waters and turns uh, uh, the waters from bitter to sweet is also a reminder of what the Bible tells us in Psalms 34 and verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed be the man that trusteth in him. Man, hallelujah to you. You know the Lord is good. What kind of water do we produce? What kind of water are you putting out? If Jesus is in you, you've got the water of life, man. You've got Jesus Christ in you. You know, in James chapter 3, he speaks about this. He says, And the tongue is a, is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members, it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And, set, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast of birds and serpents and things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is, unru- it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, uh, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought uh, not so to be. And then he says this in verse 11. Right? He starts off talking about it being a, uh, a fire. And then he says this in verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Well, let me ask you. Why did why did, why was this place called Mara to begin with? Well, I can tell you why because it was revealing what was in the hearts of the children of Israel. They had bitterness in their heart, and God needed to get that taken out so that it would be sweet. And that's what James is saying. He's like, "What's coming out of our mouth? 
If, if it's not the sweet water of God's word, it's probably going to set things on fire. It's going to cause destruction. But if it is the words of God, if you're meditating upon God's word, if your thoughts and our hearts are upon the words of God, you know what? The, if the spirit of God's dwelling in you and it's filling you, you know what? It's going to lubricate all your relationships, all your conversations. I ran into this old boy uh, just uh, yesterday, or was that yesterday? Day before yesterday. And uh, I hadn't seen him in literally 25 plus years. And you know what I remembered about him is how sweet he was. He, I was there the day he got baptized. Guy went to Liberty U, Bible College, knew the Bible, all that stuff. I'm doing baptisms for our church back before I came down here. I had baptism duty, so I was I was going to baptize one night. And uh, and this guy, David Foster, comes, and, and he's like, hey, I need to get baptized. I'm like, whoa, blow me away. He's like, well, I finally got saved. I'm like, hallelujah to you. And, uh, you know, these guys that I, I, I run into, they're still as sweet today as the day I saw them 25 years ago. You ever met someone like that? They're just what comes out of their mouth is kindness, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's, also, it's gentleness, goodness, faith. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You know why that comes out? Because that's the well they're drinking from. Man, if you don't drink from the right well, you're going to have bitterness. Man, what goes in is what's going to come out. It's a law of sowing and reaping. Just try that with jalapenos. I'm just, don't think about it too much. So when, there, when, there are two, when, there's, when there's two men hanging on a tree next to Jesus... One asks the other, how can you say such things, man? How can you say that to this man? One thief was murmuring in bitterness, and he inherited death and damnation of soul forever and ever. And the other sincerely entreated the Lord, and he was saved just like that. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, and, and one of the malefactors, which was hanged, railed on him. Why? Because he was bitter. This life didn't bring him what he wanted, and you know what? Go ahead and kill me. And everyone can go down with me, man. It's like those Columbine shooters. Man, it got this trend of killing innocent children started many years ago. Just a couple disenfranchised kids. They knew they were dead before they started. And they just wanted to take as many innocents out as they could. What is that? That's wickedness. That is bitterness, man. That's a well of Satan. And man, right now it's on steroids. Being sponsored. I digress. But anyway, but... The other, verse 40, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? Don't you know who you're talking to, man? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. We deserve what we're getting up here on this cross. We deserve this, but this man had done nothing amiss. This is injustice next to us here. What are you saying, man? You're going to stand before your Creator soon. What are you thinking? And he said unto Jesus, Lord... Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This, this thief believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Man, if you can just spew bitterness perpetually and you don't have any conviction about it, then you've got to check that heart. I mean, all of us struggle with that. But this, uh, this old boy on the cross, he's like, man, we, we deserve all this, man. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive me? Jesus is like, yeah, I will. Certainly, you'll be with me today in paradise. You know, it's what Jesus didn't say. You all deserve to die and go to hell. Although that is true. He was looking for the 
contrite heart, the one with the right heart attitude. Point B, God provides a prescription. Man, we need that. So everybody's looking for prescriptions today. Let me give you one. You you don't even have to get this in the street. You don't even have to go to the doctor. We can get it right here from the Word of God. When You know, when you need to go to the doctor, he's going to write you a script. So God's given us a script right here. It's Exodus 15, 26. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases, none of these diseases, Upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. First mention of healeth, by the way, in the Bible, or any form thereof, is right here in 1526. Um, <clears throat> the word heal doesn't appear again until Numbers 12, 13. Psalms 103, verse 2 says, Blessed, I'm sorry, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquity, who healeth. All thy diseases. Amen. And bless the Lord, man. He's healed all our diseases. Psalm 147 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. Remember our first point. For it is pleasant and God is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth them, uh, or together the outcasts of Israel. Look at this, verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. I mean, you got a healing Lord. you got a healing Savior. Be a victor. Be a, don't be a victim. He's a healer. Psalms 147 tells us that. God heals the brokenhearted. You got a broken heart today? Guess what? God can heal it. You know why sometimes your relationships are all messed up? Because you're expecting other people in your life to do something that only God can do. Your husband can't. He can help. Don't get me wrong. Your wife can help. Your dad can help. Your mom can help. We can do things to help. But at the end of the day, none of us are supernatural heart surgeons. Only God can do some of that work. Some of the sin and the debauchery that has hurt people in this church building and in all church buildings and in this nation and in the world today, I promise you the only person that is qualified to heal it is Jesus. He is the source of all healing. Like a good physician, God prescribed some medicine to, for the cure this morning. So start here it is. It's simple. Hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Diligently hearken. Not just, a, not just once, but diligently. Make it a habit to hearken. Diligently hearken to the voice of thy God. Right? We know, we know that's the first thing we teach children. Children. Ephesians 6.1. What? Obey. That's the first thing we teach a child to do is obey. Obey, children, obey, for this is right. What comes with it? Blessing. It's the first commandment with promise. Obey your father and mother. Do that which is right. Do what is right. That's the second thing. The third thing is give ear to to his commandments. Just listen. God gives us two ears, right? So we can listen twice as much as we speak. And then the the fourth thing is keep his statutes. Do it. Keep hold of it. Don't let go of it. There's your prescription for the day. Diligently hearken, do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes. Now, notice God makes a promise here that if you take the prescription, God um, will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I put upon the Egyptians. So God is promising to sanctify and cleanse his children so they don't carry the diseases that plague the Egyptians. I'm not just talking about the plagues, but the, the, the world's diseases. Isn't that, isn't that practical? You know, if you obey God's process, 
We'll just use it practical things like sexual intimacy and you do it the way God says, chances are you're not going to be plagued with the diseases that the world is plagued with. That's just how it works. You follow God's word, you do it the way God says, and you will avoid some heartache that happens in Egypt. Notice God makes a promise here because he loves people. There's a clear picture that our, that our attitude of, uh, to hearken, to give ear, to keep God's statutes, makes the water of God's word sweet and gives us good spiritual health. In Proverbs 3, the Bible says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life, and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be, here it comes, health to thy navel and morrow to thy bones. Proverbs 4.20, my son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Do what the Bible says, hear it, hearken to it, do it, give ear to it, keep it. Let not, not, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep it in front of your face. Get your face in the book. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Get in the Bible. Let the Bible get into you. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Again, obviously, we're, we know these old temple, temples are going to die. But again, practically speaking, when you live God's word out in your life, it is just better for you, even physically. But this is really more about spiritual than, than the physical. Sadly, Israel would forget God's word and she would get sick. Jeremiah 2.13, as they're going into captivity, Jeremiah says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Man, they had their own plan for how to get the water. They had their own cisterns dug. They were going to, you know what a cistern is, right? It's filled with water that you collect. Instead of just going to the fountain that God provides, they had their own resources to collect their own water. And God says, those cisterns don't work. They can't even hold any water. You don't have any water. You're dry. You're parched. You're in a weary land. Listen, beloved, this is the only place to get what we need in this world in which we live as we sojourn. Israel forsook the Lord. They got into idolatry, into paganism, to all other kinds of things, and they forsook the Lord God that had saved them. They forgot their salvation. They forgot to celebrate him. And before you know it, man, they're dry in a thirsty land. Jeremiah 17, 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, again, the fountain of living waters. Oh, beloved, we need the fountain of living waters. We need the prescription that God provides from his word. We need the Bible in our face, in our eyes, in our heart, in our life. Point C, God, man, you know when you follow him what he'll do? Woo! He provides an oasis. What a great way to end this chapter. It starts with celebration, and it ends at a resort, man. They get down to this oasis in verse 27. And they came to Elam, where were 12 wells of water, and three score and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Notice that Moses didn't bring them this time, like he did in verse 22. They came. They're in a lot better position. 
And they're, they're, they're cooperating. Now God is, is pointing out that the children of Israel are following him. People follow better when they have been satisfied with the sweet water of God's word. Elam means uh, palms, so like palm trees. I can just picture this location in the midst of a desert place. And there appears uh, not to just be one well, but now there's 12 wells surrounded by palm trees. And God provides us a little bit of, of the garden in our pilgrimage to the promised land. Beloved, every time you attend church and we gather together with believers around God's word when it's open and the Holy Spirit of God is teaching and we have the fellowship of believers loving us, we get a little sense of heaven on earth. If the devil had his way, he would never attend church and he would never let you attend church. He would never let you hear the preaching or the teaching of the pure words of God or enjoy the journey with another believer. If the devil had his way, you would not be here this morning. You'd be watching the chiefs. But praise God, Satan's forces have been drowned in the sea, and we are free to move about en route to the promised land. And yes, it may be dry, and we may be weary, but beloved, we got a fountain of living water. And God brings them to this little oasis where the palm trees are, and there's 12 waters, and it says there were 12 wells of water. And this water is not bitter, but it's sweet. There is a well for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, one per family. Notice these wells did not have to, to be dug. They were already provided because God is a God of providence. Everything we need from God's word has already been provided. We simply have to follow his lead and open up this book. And you know what? You will have fountains of living water. He's already dug the well. It's already ready. There were three score and ten palm trees. Seventy palm trees. This is the third mention of the phrase three score and ten in the Bible. And it's no accident that the first mention of the phrase is in reference to the seventy souls that followed Jacob and his sons down to Egypt. In Genesis 46 and verse 27, it says, And the sons of Joseph, which were born in Egypt, were uh, two souls. And all the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. There were 70 souls coming into Egypt, and there was multitudes coming out. Deuteronomy 10.22 is also mentioned. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons, and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. God is pointing out that he will provide for his people. If they follow him, they will emerge as trees planted by rivers of living water, which is alluded to over and over again in the scripture. Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Why? Because he took his medicine, man. He took his prescription. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5. Thus saith the Lord God, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whoso, whoso, uh, in whose heart departeth from the Lord. Oh, that man is cursed. But verse 6 says, For he shall be like the, the, the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, wilderness in a salt land, and not uh, uh, and not inhabit and not and not inhabited. Verse seven: Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. Conversely, right, and whose hope the is the the Lord is, for he shall be as a, a tree planted by waters, by the waters, and, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. I mean, this little oasis is in the middle of a desert place. 
and spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I mean, this is a sure fountain of water. The scripture says uh, they encamped there. They didn't just keep on going. Why? They stopped, and they, they didn't ignore God's provision. They stopped to take it in and get refreshed in their wilderness journey. I just got to say this. If you're looking for a place to, to, to get water, I pray this church is a place when you're in the wilderness journey, you can stop and you can get a drink of water. And it's not bitter, but it's sweet. Not because it's my words, but because it is the very words of God. And so lastly, this is what we know about Jesus' source of provision. right? He provided a tree and he provided a prescription, but he also provided this oasis. What was all this about? Well, lastly, God provides a lesson. The reason we gather around the word of God each week is because we know God will refresh us. He will heal us, and he will encourage us in our wilderness journey. Some of us are just getting started. You've got a lot of lessons to learn on your way to the promised land. Others of you, man, you're full of faith. You're like Joshua. You're like Caleb, man. You're following God. You're going across that Jordan. You're going to get to that promised land. Look out, man, for the enemies. Man, the enemies are in trouble because you're coming. But no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, you just can't forget this. This is the lesson. God provides. Whether you see it or not, whether your expectations are met or not, God provides. God provides salvation, which is the cause of our celebration, because it's all about uh, salvation, man. God has saved us. God provides medication, which makes the bitter water sweet and restores our health. And God provides a location where you can come and get refreshed in your journey. Now, I pray that each and every one of us has a location, not just here on Sunday morning, but every day of your life. Man, I don't know about you. I drink water more than once a day. Like, I love to drink water. I'll drink 32 ounces before I step out of the the house in the morning. I might drink 64 ounces. I love to drink water. I'm not a diabetic. I've already checked. I can't imagine you say, hey, Brian, you can't have water for an entire day. I'd be going crazy. I need water. But you know what I need more than that? And, guys, I'm not always good at this, but I need this more than that. If you say, hey, just wait till next week, I'll give you a drink. I wouldn't make it, and nor would you. We not only need to do it once a week, we need to every day, we need to be getting in this fountain of living water. Hey, we're on a journey. We've got places to go. But remember, your celebration comes because of God's provision. If you forsake this, you're going to be bitter before you know it, and it's going to affect everybody around you. And you're going to wonder why none of your expectations are met. It's because you're not meeting God's basic expectation, which is meeting him at the well every day. You need fellowship. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Celebration or consternation, it's your decision. Let's stand in an attitude of prayer. As we, re- as we recognize this and we allow God to work in our hearts this morning, I just want to ask, you know, if you're in a place of bitterness this morning, you don't have to continue. You can stop right here and change the direction right now. You can follow the Lord and believers baptism you can follow the Lord to get saved you can you can do 